what's up hybrids welcome back to another episode of the phantom hybrid podcast this is hanako and i am here with anthony laurie and mike and we are discussing the second episode of season three's a discovery of witches and i can't wait for us to talk about this episode i think this episode is probably my favorite out of the whole series like I watched this episode and I was like a kid on Christmas day, just like bouncing in my seat. Like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like, when are we recording next? We got to talk about this episode. Oh my God. This episode had everything. It proved some stuff that we thought it gave a little bit more background and proved us wrong on a couple of things, but not very many, but this episode. I might have done the Snoopy happy dance a few times. I, I think I was probably dancing with you. It was, This episode was so much fun. And <sighs> Anthony, Mike, how did you guys feel about it? Because I know Laurie and I have been like, okay, we're gushing on this podcast episode. So I just, if we're going to be b- gushing, but y'all are not, then I want to go ahead and get y'all. <laughs> no, it was a good episode. I just, uh, I'm, I'm glad we finally got introduced to Jack. We finally see how much of a power player Benjamin really is. And I'm going to be honest, I think Jack is 100% going to be Matthew's downfall. Like either it's going to get him killed or it's going to get all his power in the congregation or as far as his family goes, it's going, he's going to give all that up for Jack. And it's kind of sad to me because he can't see, I mean... I understand that it's his son, but if he can't control him, then it's like he's going to, he's either going to pay for it with his life or somehow or another in another way. And I feel really bad about that, but it's like, it's just getting really complicated. I disagree with you, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Anthony, what you think? All right. So I'm not gushing as much as you guys, because there really wasn't anything that happened that I didn't expect. Like, there wasn't anything that was shocking or surprising that happened. It was a cool episode, though. I mean, it was nice to have some things that we discussed that are not called theories confirmed. <laughs> I mean, what, Jack being the blood rage vampire was 100% a theory that a lot of us had, and it mm-hmm. was proven in this episode. True. There is something that I did find very, very interesting that I was like, oh, what, what, what the hell was a gallo glass revelation later oh it gets oh, better yeah. the one about the like, one about oh, him oh. having feelings for diana not oh. that one. Oh, okay the other one that i've always made sure that she was safe mm-hmm. which means he's probably been watching her like the whole time yeah and i am yeah. not gonna go back to season one and look for him in the background I'm just oh, I can tell you where to, I can tell you exactly where to go, Aunt. Just no go freeze frame episode. It was second episode when she's in the courtyard and just freeze frame it, or uh, even when she's in the library there a couple times. Just go back there, freeze frame every frame. He's not there. I can I'm, tell you, he's not, not there not. because he wasn't even cast yet. So, <laughs> but still, if they had managed to do that, that would have been cool. Okay, I have one thing. I got it wrong in the group chat. When Father Hubbard comes out of the car and he says to Diana, you left something in my keeping. I lost it because I knew it was Jack. I knew it was Jack. I mean, it couldn't have been anything else but Jack. But oh, it was so good. I'm going to tell you what I liked about that particular moment. So when he gets out of the car and Jack gets out. Now, first of all, 
whoever does the casting, they were spot on with this because when he stepped out of the car, he looked like an older version of the young Jack we Mm -hmm. saw from season two. And then when he looked and Diana saw him and she went, Jack, the smile that lit his face. I was like, okay, forget about the fact that we know that he's probably Jack the Ripper at this point. Let me just enjoy the fact that he is finally seeing them after all of these years. And yeah, but from the happy look that she had to the, oh, what the fuck look that Matthew had on his face. Yeah. Like he was just like... Because, you know, Matthew wasn't privy to the fact that Diana placed Jack in Father Hubbard's keeping or, you know, pr- under his protection. And then the fact that here he is as a grown-up and a vampire. I know Matthew had a whole bunch of shit going through his head like, what the fuck? What's going on? So let's go ahead and unpack this Jack stuff while we're here. Okay. So we find out later on, and I will say this too, seeing Father Hubbard in this episode and also in the trailers, I noticed before we knew what the full story was, I was like, he doesn't seem like his, like the same strong-willed kind of ego not saying that he had an ego in season two, but basically Father Hubbard knew that not too many people could touch him. Like he ran the city of London as far as creatures went. Yeah, he and said, London is my domain. Is his domain. And he, he, had says that he, <laughs> and he even says that in this episode, but it said a little differently. Like he came into this episode almost fearful, I will say. Like, okay, I don't know what's about to happen. I don't know how they're going to react, especially Matthew. I think he was scared at this point. But when they sat down and they found out what happened. So basically what happened, Jack was living his life. Father Hubbard was taking care of him. He got sick and almost died. And Father Hubbard made the decision to save him by turning him into a vampire. And this is something that Jack also wanted at the time, because as he says, he felt like he had more to do with his life, which I can understand. That's a perfectly acceptable reason to feel like you want to live on, especially given his age. I don't fault him for that. The fact that he wanted to find Matthew and Diana, like had a longing for them. I don't blame him for that either. I actually do blame Matthew and Diana for that. Because I feel like with everything that was going on back then, them making the decision to bring Jack into their family and to take care of him. If you were going to leave him and you knew you weren't coming back, they should have at that point told him the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, because instead you leave this little kid who you have taken off the streets, who you have loved and claimed as your own. You've taken him in. You've given him care. You've shown him love. And then you leave him in the care of other people with no explanation that you won't be coming back. And as they say, he sat and went to the docks every day for years waiting for some news of them, which plays into Benjamin's manipulation of him and what happens afterwards. I totally blame Diana and Matthew for that, you know, because they... They should have done a little bit better. I mean, but there's not really that much they could have done. I mean, it's like, what else could they have done besides, I mean, they've introduced him to a world of supernatural beings of which he is not one. And he can't stay there because 
the Matthew of that time was coming back, he would see him be like, who the fuck are you? Get the fuck out of my house. He couldn't stay there. So it's like his choices were very, were really limited. He could have gone back on the street where he was definitely going to get killed or he's staying in Father Hubbard's care, which there's like a 50-50 chance that he would have gotten killed. But, see, but it's like, I mean, it's, I, I agree that if they if they wouldn't have, because they changed something in time, they completely changed something that wasn't there before. And that that's complete, that's absolutely their fault. I, I agree with you. I think I 100% agree with you, but it's like either give him Father Hubbard's care or... Or one one way or another, he was going to die. There was no two ways about that. What, what kept them from bringing him back with them? Like, what, what stopped them? See, that's the, that. See, that's the thing. I I think the problem is that they were concerned that he probably would have maybe uh, disrupted the timeline or something because you know bringing him from one time to the other. But as far as parents are concerned, I understand that they loved him, but I think that that was almost child endangerment by taking him in having this young child fall in love with them and be his parents and only to leave him i mean the 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 suggestion that we see on the show is that your your blood rage is hereditary but i think that a lot of the what brings it forward is what happened in your life before you die your emotions whatever happened to you so i think that jack no matter who his sire would have been would have gotten blood rage or something you know what i'm saying something would have gone wrong right but here's the thing that i guess bothers me some so as far as matthew knew they were leaving jack in the care of sir percy right or was mm-hmm. it Sir Walter? It was one of those two that, that was supposed to be caring for him. Right. Diana was the one who went and asked Father Hubbard to kind of keep him safe. But here's the thing. Sir Percy was a friend of the Matthew of that time. So what would have happened if Jack would have come across that Matthew? You know what I'm saying? Like Jack, if they didn't explain to him what was going on, that, hey, I am this person, but from a different time. And now we have to leave and go back to that time, but we cannot take you with us. If they didn't explain any of that to him, what would have happened if he had come across Matthew Rorden during that time as a Mm. child, already feeling abandoned? Then he goes up to this person who he feels like is his father. And this dude is probably looking at him like, who the fuck are you? Get away from me. You know, it's just, I have so many issues with that, but we'll, we're not going to harp on that for too long because it is what it is. What's done has been done. Jack is now in London. He is with them. They've told their, their stories. Um, And then of course we see later on that Jack is the one that has the blood rage and that's explained as well a little bit through father Hubbard. So I do have a question about that that I want to get off my brain while we're talking about it. And then we can go into more depth about it later on. So Jack was sired by Father Hubbard. Okay. Father Hubbard was the one who saved him, made him a vampire. Mm -hmm. Now we find out in this episode as well that Father Hubbard didn't just rise up out of his grave, a vampire with no sire. No, he was sired by fucking Benjamin. Right. Okay. Man. So here's the thing. I twist. Benjamin right. has blood rage. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Or is he just a carrier? 
Benjamin um, has blood rage. Okay. So Benjamin has blood rage. He sires Father Hubbard, which means Father Hubbard is a carrier. Right. Okay. Father Hubbard sires Jack, who has blood rage or who probably, I don't know. Uh, I mean, we know he has the blood rage, but my question is, does the blood rage only come out once it's triggered? Or would he have, it, like if Benjamin had left him alone, not bothered him, would he have just been a carrier? Because that makes me think all of Father Hubbard's flock, did he not convert anybody else from that flock? He's got hundreds, hundreds. I think, I think it comes out when they're upset. And before you ask your next question, according to the book and the lineage, Jack is literally Matthew's grandson or great-grandson. He's his great-grandson. Yeah, technically speaking, yeah, because Matthew sired Benjamin, who mm-hmm. sired Father Hubbard, mm-hmm. who sired Jack. So yeah, that that so makes te- sense. technically Father Hubbard is Matthew's son, or Matthew's grandson, grandson, grandson. grandson. Yeah, mm-hmm. technically. Yeah. No, I think I think you're. I think partly from what I understand, or just based on what we've seen in the show, it's triggered by emotions. Like the more emotional you are, the more likely it is to be triggered. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think that's true for carriers. Like I think carriers, it doesn't just come out because they're emotional. You okay. you either are going to be blood raised or you're not. Okay. Being a carrier doesn't make it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like you can't just get Father Hubbard upset and all of a sudden he goes into a blood rage. Right. He's okay. just a carrier. I was just curious about that because I was yeah. like, but I understand what your question. So many is, questions, but but as long as you have like a happy, stable life, mm-hmm. and you don't have those issues or those things come up, then you'll probably be fine, right? You know, right. like it's yeah. So because I think when Benjamin found him, Benjamin was like, "Oh, okay," he forced it out of. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And that's so I know that in the last episode, and I think also last season, we were kind of speculating about if Jack was the blood rage vampire, like how did he become that way? Like who turned him? Because we knew Matthew wouldn't have turned him. Um, Matthew was already upset by the fact that Jack was turned into a vampire anyway. I don't even think the blood rage part would have bothered him. He didn't want Jack to become a vampire because like he said, Jack probably didn't know what he was signing himself up for. Matthew didn't either when he told Isabel, yes, you know, she said as much, you know, once he, once he uh, transitioned, he was pissed about having this immortal life. And I will say, I understand a lot of his reasonings, but Matthew does not know how to communicate his feelings well. And he pissed me off so much in this episode. Like this boy already thinks that you abandoned him. And then when you see him, you have so many questions and you're upset about the fact that he's a vampire. Like I almost felt like at the end of the episode when Benjamin was showing him the video and you could hear the things Benjamin was saying to him. And even when father Hubbard tells him, he used your absence and he used Jack's love and affection for you to turn him into what he thought you would have wanted him to be. Benjamin, let me tell you, that Joker is at the top when it comes to the mind games. 
because he took Jack and played him like a fiddle and made him into everything he knew Matthew would hate. Mm-hmm. He's an instrument. Like Mike, Mike said, he's an instrument of the declare mind's destruction. That's right. But see, amazing. I think, I actually think that Jack is going to be different because I feel like this is Matthew's opportunity to fix the mistakes he made with Benjamin because he converted Benjamin out of rage, out of anger. And what he did afterwards, you know, he just basically abandoned him as a newborn with blood rage to his own devices thinking, okay, the loneliness will kill him or the people will hunt him down and kill him. That's some petty shit. And I feel like the fact that he's now having to deal with the same thing in the son that he actually does care about and love, I think that's going to be a turning point for Matthew. As far as, okay, you know what? I did not do it right with this person. And now we see all of the bullshit that followed. Now we have to deal with the bullshit and I have to change how I approach this situation. I have to fix it with this person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I... I still think Jack's going to be going to be the death of Matthew one way or the other. It's like, because there's so much stuff has already happened. It's like the congregation is looking for him. Other vampires are looking for him. And he seems like once Jack gets started, he has no control, like none, zero control. I mean, when, when we saw Matthew getting bloodlusted, he had a, a slight semblance of control a little bit, but Jack is wild. When when he gets blood raged, I mean, as as shown, like him attacking fucking Baldwin, dude's wild. He's wild. Let me tell you, that's all Benjamin because Benjamin basically told him, when you get into that state, you do what you want to do. Like, yeah, and this is what Matthew will be proud of. Right. So he has no control. So and, and, and this is bad. This is bad for Matthew because it's like he's gonna it's gonna come to a crossroads. It's like it almost came to a crossroads in this episode. Like Matthew was probably a cunt's hair from actually taking Jack out of the equation. He was right there. But I'm gonna yeah, tell you what he got his mama on his side though. That's what I was about to say. Cause in this episode, let me tell you, when Diana snatched Baldwin's wig, literally. I was like, you know what? Ain't none of y'all finna touch Jack. I wish Matthew would try to handle Jack. I wish Baldwin, but I bet you Baldwin won't fuck with Diana no more. When I tell you I hooted that and hollered was... through that whole scene, she was like, take your hands off my son. Boy, I Baldwin was like... Baldwin's never, never gonna look at chains again the same way. No. If he hears a chainsaw, he's gonna be, he's gonna go into like a state of like a, a, ball, a withering ball start crying like not the chain not the chain not let the me chain. tell you in this episode if Baldwin didn't go back and say everybody better learn that this Diana is not the same one that left and went to 1590 this is a whole different ball game and she is not playing with y'all about her son period she could have killed him in oh. fact I thought she was on her way to it I thought he was done I thought he was and, done and everybody in the room was like okay we're everybody was just off. sitting there like okay <laughs> let, let, let me let me ask a question. I think I know the answer to this, but Baldwin 
like he didn't kill Jack at first because he didn't know he was blood rage. He just assumed he was a straight. Right. 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 Okay. Because I was thinking if Baldwin knew he was blood rage, Baldwin would have like put him on a t shirt right there. Like he didn't know. So when he, he walked know, in, but now that he knows. Oh, he he ain't, he ain't gonna touch him. Even even, even though him now. now he knows he, he can't touch him. But, but, see, but see, Jack is uh, a generation away from Baldwin being able to sense that Jack is family. So that's why he didn't get it at, at the beginning that he was he called him a stray because he said this is for family only, and that's what set Jack off because Jack's like uh, I'm family. Yeah, he so, actually called him one of Father Hubbard's strays. Right, right. Yeah. Basically like, oh, you're gum on the bottom of my shoe. Get out of here. And I think one of the things that I've noticed in this episode, Jack's blood rage is not just from regular anger. It's directly tied into Diana and Matthew. Right. You know what well, I'm he's saying? He's been conditioned. Yeah. Benjamin has conditioned yeah. him to yeah. be that way. Yeah, yeah. But, but the thing is, is that I think that Baldwin would have been okay if he hadn't been talking trash. But once Jack got himself, you know, worked up, because Galglass, you know, he was like, oh, shit, it's about to go down. <laughs> you know, Bald, you know, Gal- Galglass was like, okay, I'm going to go find somebody. Because Matthew sensed it. You know, when they were up in the bedroom, Matthew just, you know, start walking down the stairs with a purpose. Because Baldwin, I mean, here, here's the thing. Blood, uh, blood rage is strong, and even though Baldwin is a very, very old vampire, I think that if Jack would have gotten really upset, that he might have caused Baldwin a few problems. Baldwin exactly. would have been done. Exactly, and I think Baldwin realized yeah. how close to death he was in that episode, too. <laughs> Here's my other question. So, the blood rage, is it only passed down through transition? Because my question is, Jack has now attacked Domenico and Baldwin. Does that mean that they don't they don't get the blood rage? Like it's only, no. it's only it, when you're made. It's okay. only when you're made, yeah. Okay. I was wondering about that, but boy, yeah. I tell you, when he walked past and I started seeing his face change, I was like, oh, Baldwin about to get got. <laughs> I thought Baldwin was done. And then when Diana got her hands, or excuse me, when she got her magic on him, and I will say this, so we we talked a lot in the last episode about this new actor who was portraying Baldwin and how his version of Baldwin is a little bit different. I would have killed to see the other actor, the other Baldwin in that scene. I just think the reactions would have been more comical as far as, I mean, this is the face that we've grown to detest for two seasons. I just think it would have felt a little bit more poetic if we had been able to see it. But I, also, I also watching that scene again, um, when Jack first attacked Baldwin in the garage in front of Gallo Glass, mm-hmm. I, at first I was like, why didn't Baldwin just off him right there? Like, what the fuck is this shit? And just kill him. But then I thought Baldwin has to be, you know, his his ego and his need to to rub everybody's nose in their crap. So he's like, oh, let me go take them this stray and show them how their stray is uncontrollable. Nah, dude, you should have just killed him. I mean, he literally attacked you unprovoked. I think Baldwin the other thing, too, is that weak. he needed to be able to, I guess, go to uh, Matthew and be like, aha, I knew it. Like, you were lying to me. 
you've been hiding this person all along. And I think at that point, when, when Matthew really humbled himself, because Matthew, at that point, they had no idea that Jack was the blood rage vampire. Mm-hmm. So when that realization hit, of course, Diana is trying to comfort Jack because she wants Jack to understand I'm still here. Matthew, I think, probably would have been in that same headspace, but Matthew's dealing with a whole bunch of things right now. And so when he humbled himself and got on his knees and was like, Monsieur, I, I did not know it was him. I did not know he had blood rage. And the way that Baldwin looked at him, Baldwin looked at him like, oh, he really didn't know. Like there was like a, a, a moment of understanding that passed between them. But then of course, Baldwin was like, I think the other reason why he didn't kill Jack is because that's the task Matthew was yeah, given. I, I thought that too. He's like, you know what? This is your job. This, this is was, your job. This was given to you by our father. You were supposed to take care of this shit. Right. And now at this point, he has a little bit more, um, I guess you could say gloating he can do because Diana just basically told you that this boy belongs to her and Matthew. And so for him to say, you know what you have to do, you have to kill him. Like, yeah, I understand he's yours, but I'm going to make you kill him in front of your mate anyway. <laughs> and Baldwin really thought Matthew was about to do that. I'm sorry. I know that they are married and mated and she's pregnant with children. But the fact that she's pregnant and you really think you're about to order her husband to go and kill that child that they have claimed is theirs. Baldwin really was looking for a death wish that day. He really was. Yeah, but but the hypocrisy, though, when, when Marcus has had all of his sires slaughtered by Matthew, you know, yeah. and lied to that, oh, yeah, it's not working. They're just dying. Mm-hmm. No, motherfucker, you're killing them. Mm-hmm. But then, oh, you let this one go? Yeah. So I, I'm interested to see how Marcus is going to react to that. I think we'll see that in the next episode. Well, Marcus, I think... Marcus- Go ahead, Mike. Marcus is really wary right now. It's like because he, he's looking he's like, all right, I trust you. Now I'm taking you to my kids in New Orleans. But I mean, I'm see, he's still keeping one eye open on him about Matthew because he's like, I mean, he probably does feel some kind of way about it because he's like, wait, so your your kid has blood rage and you were not doing anything about it. You're trying to find a cure. But when my kids had it, you just basically slaughtered them all okay like, but see but here's the he's thing just we have to remember learning this. marcus is just yeah. learning this yeah from what so he saying, knows, it's like it's too, it's too early any, to tell how he's going to react to it yeah any vampire that he has ever tried to sire has died well, that's what he was told no matthew was killing them except for the few that didn't show signs of blood rage yeah the ones that were carriers but see here's the other thing too you have to think about it Two different time periods back when matthew was killing all of the blood rage vampires This was back in the 1500s and Philippe was making him do this. Now, it got to a point after that time that Matthew said, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, and and he mentioned that in the last season where he stopped fulfilling that part. He stopped um, being Philippe's weapon. And he even told him that when they went back in time. So, Yes, he did that to Marcus back then. I think if he had the choice now, especially knowing that it can be contained, you know, that it can be controlled if the vampire is taught it. 
I don't think Matthew would be so quick to do that now, especially since Philippe is not there to command him to do it. The other thing is, remember, again, Matthew had no clue that Jack was the blood rage vampire. He had no clue. And even though he cares about Jack, when he went to look for Jack, he had all intentions of going through with it. And Jack even knew it and said, I don't blame you. And then he explained himself. He told why he stole the miniatures. He said, These were, this was the closest that I, that I had of holding on to you guys. You know, all he wanted was his family, you know? And, and the thing is with that amount of love and desire, Benjamin played into that. He played into it very well, you know, and created this thing that he knew Matthew would eventually have to destroy. At that moment, Matthew made the decision that, okay, we're trying to work on a cure. Fernando taught me how to control my impulses. Maybe he can help you. There was just more, I think there was more of a possibility of being able to save Jack than there would have been 300 years ago, 400 years ago, 500 years ago with all of those blood rage vampires running around. You know what I'm saying? I just think the circumstances are different. If there were more blood rage vampires running around, then yes, I think Matthew would probably have to be forced to act. But in this episode, we see also Matthew, he has made the decision to trust a small handful of humans with the knowledge of him being a creature, Diana being a creature, Miriam being a creature, in the efforts to try to find a cure for blood rage. And in order for them to do that, they have to trust the humans because at this point, they don't have what they need amongst the creatures to get it done quickly. You know what I'm saying? So the the circumstances are different. Matthew has more promise, more hope right now in this situation with Jack than he would have hundreds of years ago with everything else. I mean... We don't know what's going on with the witches in New Orleans because yes, they may all be carriers. We don't know if that, we don't know if there's something that may turn that carrier trait from carrier to actual blood rage. I know the possibility is unlikely, but we still don't know enough about it to be able to speculate. Who knows what could have happened with any one of Marcus's children in New Orleans. There could be blood rage vampires there too. And this has been off of Matthew's radar. He's been in England. So I think... Oh, no, he's he's been keeping track of them. I mean, he left them there. So I think he... he Someone else asked me this question, and I'm like, I'm sure he has resources to have eyes on all those vampires because he's got to keep track of, you know, who they are, who they're turning, mm-hmm. and, you know, Marcus's grandkids, great-grandkids. He has to watch all that. He's He's got to be able to do that. Yeah. So that's why he knows where they are. He he probably knows exactly where every single one of those vampires are and what they're doing, mm-hmm. just in case one of them slips up and you know creates sires a blood rage vampire. Which I know we get jumping ahead, but when you see the previews, they call him a fucking demon. So <laughs> they they know who he is and they yeah. know what he's capable of doing, and they are I'm sure they're scared of him too. Which is yeah. probably why they probably don't sire many children because this motherfucker's gonna come out of nowhere and kill them mm-hmm. and remind them you don't need to be doing this. You know what I mean? Right. So 
I'm sure it's going to set up an interesting dynamic between him and Marcus. Yeah, because Marcus is already pissed about all of that. He has conflicting, you know, like you said, conflicting feelings because now he's got to go see these children that he probably hasn't seen in maybe a century, maybe a little bit longer than that. As far as he knows, they're dead. (laughs) Well, like you said, I I don't think, I think he knows that they're alive, but probably because of the fact that he's still with Matthew, they're probably like, yeah, don't you come back here. We don't care who you are. We don't want you here. I don't know, because I remember in the first season, he says he hasn't been able to sire anyone because they all die. So I don't think he knows. Or, we'll, we'll, or at least we'll he didn't out. before the uh, at least well, he didn't before this episode. He didn't know before this episode. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, well, that's what the new trilogy, the, the next trilogy after this is uh Marcus and Phoebe's story. And I haven't read it yet, but one of the main uh topics is the New Orleans children because mm-hmm. uh there's there's a lot that's left uh unresolved in the third book about it. So if we do get another uh, a sequel. I expect them to talk more about it because uh, there's a lot, but I just wanted to to throw this out there, uh, switching up just a tad bit. Uh, In the book, when Matthew and Chris and Miriam are talking to the students, they actually make Miriam the the lab's project manager. And she has this ridiculous thing where she goes around before they tell anybody anything and she gives them like this test, like this, like like they do on the doctor shows, like, okay, what is this? And what symptom is that? And then she makes them sign NDAs. And then after they all sign the NDAs, then they tell them, oh, it's hysterical. Some of them quit. Right. And so they were like, oh, God, oh, good. Thank God. I don't have to pretend that I'm human anymore. And like three or four of them admit that they're vampires. So it's actually hysterical. Really? Oh, yeah. It is awesome. But wouldn't, have well, see, Mar- I, I could, wouldn't Miriam have known if they were vampires? I guess I could see some of them being demons. Like, if they, I'm sorry. If they I'm came- sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. Demons, not vampires. Demons. Yeah. A couple of more demons. And I think one or two are a witch or a half witch because uh, some stuff that happens later, but not all of the, the kids that they have are human. Some of them are creature or part creature. And when I say part creature, that's gonna play into it. But the thing is, is that they, they get them all together and they're like, okay, these are the best, the brightest. And Miriam is like triple and, and double checking, doing NDAs, doing background checks. And she even kicks a few people out because she thinks they're gonna just basically, you know, spill the beans. Mm-hmm. Her and Chris get into it a lot because Chris is like, well, we need this person, that person, that person. She goes, well, yeah, but I don't like this, this, and this. And basically Miriam and Chris really get into almost a, a, a huge fight over who they want to be in the lab. So it's, it's quite interesting. I think they wind up, in the book with a total of, I think, six or eight of them, like mm-hmm. you saw on the show. But yeah, they, they had some issues with the way that Miriam brought everyone in. I mean, she was so bad that in one part of the book, when they were interviewing him, she took one kid, walked him outside, walked him to HR and said, we don't need this kid. I mean, it was serious. I thought it was funny when, when they said, any questions? And all the hands. <laughs> I was I, I thought about it the way that Matthew kind of explained everything. I would have been a student looking like, yeah, okay. For real. Like again, I would like prove it. <laughs> right. It's like you tell these these people this, 
And you just expect them to believe it when they have been told for all of their lives that these types of creatures don't exist. So you can't just come in there and say, yeah, I prefer to sleep in a bed instead of a coffin and blah, blah, blah. And this, that. And, and expect them to be like, oh, okay. He, oh yeah. He's most definitely a vampire. Really? No, no. I need, I need Matthew to do a little bit better with just communication in general. It's just, I, especially I in that, in that, in the scene right before where they, where Matt, where Chris said, we need more people. He was like, well, you can't tell anybody else. He was like, we have to. And then Matthew goes into the whole spiel about, you know, my father got taken by Germans and was experimented on. So you have no idea what your kind is capable of. He was like, I'm a black man from Alabama. I know exactly what my kind is. When I tell you I fell out when he made that statement, I was like, well, there it is. (laughs) And that's directly from the book, too. Yeah, because how can you argue with that? Like you you've been around for thousands of years you know what slave you know what happened with slavery you probably knew some of the people who you know stole slaves off the boat or brought slaves over on the boat and you probably were well aware of all of that happening so when this man says that to you i mean he couldn't really say anything like yeah matthew he said he set his ass up didn't he uh, yes. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like I mean, he basically Matthew basically described shit that happened in the Tuskegee experiment to a man and to a black black doctor from Alabama. I was like, you yeah. think I don't know what's going on? You think mm-hmm. I don't know what people are capable of? I know exactly what these motherfuckers is capable right. of. Right, but and and that was one scene. I'm glad because that was one where Matthew kind of showed his his uh privilege a little bit like oh yeah you don't understand this this only happened this happened to Pete you know to my father so I I know. I mean, dude. Yeah, this yeah. happened to my ancestors. And he's like, really? You want to start talking about ancestors? Right, right. <laughs> while, while we're on the subject of white male privilege, <laughs> and then where I'm going, P- Peter and Satu. I was yeah. just about oh, to get to that. Let's talk oh, about it. I was let's just talk about, about it. Oh, oh she yes, has sir. something for that ass, yes. didn't Oh, uh, my God. I was, that was dude, so I've been satisfying. waiting for someone to knock that fucking ball out of his hand. Oh my god! And she <laughs> did it, and she did it so naturally. And the look of surprise on his face—he was like, "What the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm. What?" And she was like, "You can't control me anymore." When I tell you, I'm telling you, this episode had me clapping so much. Like, yes, come on, powerful w- witches! And then when he did that whole beware of the witch with the blood of the lion and you know the lion and the wolf for she will destroy the or what what is it she will be the downfall of the children of the night yes she was like she's like yeah your mistake was thinking it was diana i still think it's both but i'm glad that she let him know yeah motherfucker I'm so powerful. There's a prophecy about me. Sit your bitch ass down. Because he couldn't do nothing. Oh Without that little black ball, Peter Knox is nothing compared to Satu. Nothing. Nope. And I'm he's, he's so a- glad that she, oh, when I tell you I cheered my daughter and I watched this episode, and she was like, it's about fucking time. He needed that. Man. He oh, yeah. His old, his, old, his, old, his old corporate witch ass. Like, oh. you, you was you. Uh, I'm glad he got he got all that, especially when when she walked away and she was like Foop, and knocked him up against against the desk. I was like, yeah, that I was like, yeah, queen, so get funny. that shit. That was so funny. That was 
Awesome. Was, and that little smirk she had walking out the door, she was like, <laughs> fucker. How, how many episodes are in this season? Eight. Eight. Oh, he's gonna be dead by the by the end of the fourth episode. She might be dead next I, next episode. I, well, I, I think you're right too. Uh, the, the thing is, is that I love this part, but I, like I said, I've already reserved the the post season uh, rant because there's a couple things that are just um, irritating to me about the book versus the show, and uh, I I have I have a couple of gripes, but the biggest thing that I have with this is that. I believe that no matter where we're going in this, we have to have Satu have another confrontation with Diana. I think that we we need to see either an apology yeah. is given or they have a knockout drag out after Diana has the children because you don't want her to do fight while she's pregnant. But something has to be resolved because there, there, there's two, but only one can be the more powerful of the two. And I think it's Diana. There can be only one. Yep, there's, there's going to be a Highlander short showdown. Yep. Yep. Now, um, the, other, the other question I had in regards to Diana. So are we assuming that her pregnancy is progressing at a regular rate? Because if that's so, that, then that means that this storyline so far has taken place in the course of months. Because when Diana and Matthew leave the lab with Chris and Miriam, where, you know, Chris and Miriam are saying, hey, at this point, we're years away from finding a cure unless we get some help. And Diana makes the comment to him. She said, if anybody can find a cure it'll be chris and miriam he says yes but we only have weeks not years so i'm thinking he meant they only have weeks until the babies are born which means that she would be full term right now yeah it, it's it the in the book when they come back uh uh emily's been dead six months uh in the series in the books book series she gives birth about just under halfway through the book so by episode four, she should have the kids. Okay. So is she is she she's having an accelerated pregnancy like Wanda did in WandaVision? No, she's having a regular pregnancy. No, she's having a regular pregnancy, but I think we're only seeing like parts of it. Like from the time that they've arrived and Emily died to the part now where they're reunited with Jack, I'm thinking a few months have passed. Because yeah, she was, I was already, thinking that too. Yeah, she because... was already showing when they came back, but she wasn't showing like she's showing now. Yeah, because I think Chris and Miriam have been working at least for a month. Okay. This if it feels like they've been working for a while, then they're like, look, it's gonna take us years to do this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they say, Oh, Chris signs up, and then the next day, like, oh, we need help. Right. No, it looks like it, it was a while before they they freed out they're like look dude we got we we need help i just wanted to verify because you know how how our shows and time jumps work so sometimes there's a time jump there's a pregnancy that could have been accelerated supernaturally so i was just making sure that we were all on the same page of what was going on with her i think i think that if you look at the time book three takes place in roughly about two years time okay I mean, Auntie Sarah, is it Sarah? She's just mm-hmm. sitting there sipping her tea, making little side comments. <laughs> I think she's just, I think she's just like, wait a minute. So you guys have another child from the 15th, from the 16th century that's just here all of a sudden. And now he's the blood rage vampire. And here we go again with vampire issues taking over everything. <laughs> but. Yep. I mean, 
So, here, okay. I got to talk about Jaber. Yes. How in the hell? The, how in the hell does Jaber have his fingers all in all the cookie pots? Like, how did I, I need to know how him and Benjamin, how this little, I, I'm confused. Like, I'm, I'm guessing Benjamin probably came to Jaber because Jaber is the leader of the, um, you know, he is the leader of the, uh, well, not the leader, but he's one of the vampires on, on the, the congregation yeah, that could probably and, and yeah and he's the one who's been trying to bring down the claremonts the longest so i'm sure he's probably been on benjamin's radar so what did benjamin get to venison like hey i need to talk to you it's about bringing down the, the claremonts and of course jabert is going to be like oh okay he doesn't care who it is as long as it gets him what he wants which is the end of the claremonts like i need to know more backstory about Jaber and the Declaremonts because I want to know why he has such a hard on for getting rid of them. Not just, you know, oh, y'all need to step down from the congregation. He wants them all dead. I need to know that backstory. I just assume he didn't like he's he's he didn't like being told what to do. Like he he was able to gain a little power because I think if I remember correctly, he was Pope at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and he's even, used to having a lot of power he he has had to listen to he's gotten on the congregation he's still got to do philippe, philippe and his kids bidding and he doesn't like that shit he wants to be the one in control uh but still there, there's something oh and he also i think he also has a thing for isabel, for isabel. yeah there's that too and, okay and that, i do remember us talking about that last last season but even Isabel got that whip appeal, like she be starting all kinds of shit. Like, but here's the thing, though: you were talking about getting rid of blood rage, period, carriers and actual blood rage vampires, which means you got to get rid of Isabel too. So you liking her and trying to get rid of her family, that's not gonna mesh. Even if he leaves her alone, but goes after the rest, Matthew is her child marcus is her grandchild and we've seen enough to know that she carries a lot of love and affection for both so you trying to get rid of them that's not going to help your that's not going to help you player like okay if you got rid of baldwin she might thank you for it but guys you're both wrong (laughs) i mean and oh no no you are both off by a mile that's all i'm saying because when you find find out what Jabir is actually after oh it's going to be good I'm telling you we're going to get episode 4 or episode 5 and you're going to be like I did not see that coming that's all I'm saying all all I see is a very old vampire who doesn't like being told what to do and everything that he's gotten he's taken from others like Mm -hmm. he has Venice because he took it from Domenico right Mm -hmm. so but but he, ask he, yourself, ask yourself, even though he's done all of this, who is still the most powerful family out there? The, the Claremonts. And who has always been in the number one spot? The Claremonts. The, the Claremonts. The Claremonts. So think about think about him being always second best, no matter Pope or not. 
And think about the fact that no matter how much power he has, he will never have the ultimate power. So maybe getting rid of the, the Claremonts might be a way for him to get that power. But again, there, there is so much more that is plans within plans within plans that he does want power, but he doesn't want power just for himself. He wants power for a very, very specific reason. And that's all I'm saying. Okay. I guess we'll see. But I, again, I just, yeah, I need to know that backstory. So, but I'm looking at the um, the scene with Satu and Peter Knox in the background and when she's telling him that she's a weaver and she's weaving, the look on his face, he looks terrified. He's like, oh shit, I done made the wrong enemy. <laughs> what your ass, what does that ass get? Fuck that, fuck that dude. Right. And, and he actually thinks he's like, he thinks that because she's not working with him, his mindset is that, oh, she's going to go work with Jaber as if Jaber is any better. And she was like, both of y'all are the same men obsessed with power. It's almost like you can hear her say, I don't need neither one of y'all. I'm better than both. That's right. Fuck the white male patriarchy. Man. <laughs> Girl power. You hear me? We saw it with Agatha in the last episode because she was the one who got Knox kicked off. And now we see Diana with Baldwin. I'm telling scene was so awesome and then you see it with Satu in this and I mean even the other ones uh again here goes Phoebe just all into it with uh Diana you know as far as trying to find out the other pages I was like so you just you just working from you just working from Satur now huh (laughs) because again this has been months but she's probably going back and forth between her job but still it's like She's taking a vested interest with all this stuff going on with Marcus. But I noticed that when he started mentioning his children to her, that's where she started getting a little, I felt like she started getting a little maybe weary or or skeptical because she was like, how many children? And when he told her, she was just like, hmm. And I know she's kind of scared about him going back to New Orleans because he even, he even kind of like tries to, reassure her I'll be fine and she was like mm-hmm. okay but yeah you're going back to this city with your children who you have not seen in however many years and you're coming back with the person who murdered all of your other children yeah it's about to be interesting uh going to New Orleans but also let's just talk about all of this melanin that's about to be popping on this screen because all of Marcus's children are black and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. We're getting some more representation, which I knew was coming because I, I saw the cast announcements, but I just, I think I'm really about to love these next few episodes in New Orleans, you know? Uh, good old New Orleans, yeah. I'm interested to see how they're gonna tie this to voodoo and Haitians and like all the other stuff that's already in New Orleans Mm -hmm. and how they're going to tie all of it together like I can't wait to see all that I hope and shout out to Marcus for being the equal opportunity baby daddy I'm all about that (laughs) we already know he likes a little color I mean yeah he obviously he he ain't about never mind I'm like see I'm not getting myself in trouble (laughs) yeah keep keep whatever you about to say just I'm good I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. 
But um But yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that, especially like when cause there's a there's gonna be a point in the season where the shit that's just probably gonna hit the families two or three times hard. Mm-hmm. And I think one of them's probably gonna be in New Orleans somehow. And I can't wait to see how that see how that turns out. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting, especially because you're bringing Matthew, the blood rage vampire killer. You're bringing Jack, a blood raged vampire. And you're bringing Marcus, who had no idea about any of this being part of his legacy, if you will. But now he's got to go and try to get these vampires to be on their side. Like, yeah, we're forming a scion because yes, Matthew has decided that this is what they're going to have to do because he has to go against Baldwin in order to keep Jack alive. Because other than that, he's he's disobeying the head of the congregation and the head of his household. So again, at this point, scion is going to have to be established because Here's the thing, even with humans, when we find out that people are different, you know, when you find out that people have mental illnesses that may make them do things that would otherwise be considered disturbing or un, un, inhumane or any of that stuff, we can't just go out and call them. You know what I'm saying? There's like, there are processes and yes, those processes aren't perfect, but they do work when done right. You know, we do have facilities that help people that are mentally ill. We do have uh, medicines that can help with some of that. You can't just go around culling things just because, oh, you know, this is what we're going to do. No, no trial. No, no. It's just, no no attempt to even try to help but that's that's like one of the overarching themes of this show is the inability of people to change Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the stuff that they do is archaic and is not relevant anymore Mm -hmm. which is another reason why i feel like matthew made that decision with jack to not kill him versus what he would have done a couple of hundred years ago Because at some point you have to change the way that you do things in order for there to be progress. Or or even a few years ago, like even before he met Diana and got involved with her. Yeah. I think this change in him is a recent change, Mm -hmm. you know, as in like right when he was standing in front of Jack, (laughs) like maybe the old way of doing things is even when Marcus suggested they create their own scion. Mm-hmm. He was like, nah, we're not going to do that. Right. That's sort of a radical idea. Mm-hmm. Even back when Hugh did it, that, that was a radical idea. It's mm-hmm. still radical to him because he doesn't want to change. I don't think it, I don't think not, not that he, he doesn't want, he doesn't to, want to change. I think his, his reasoning when they talked about the uh, science. I don't know about was, the splitting the power, but part of that is also, is also, you know, it's still, he's still steeped in how things should be like i don't he said you want me you want me to denounce the family that made me who i am right and it's like i think what matthew is gonna have to learn is that you can still hold on to the parts of that that made you who you are because that's not gonna change but you have to think about it matthew 
that same family, some of the things that they made you do to be who you are, those were things that you didn't like. Those were things that you were not comfortable with, but you did them because you were commanded to do so. You know what blood rage sounds like? It sounds like a manifestation of generational curse. Ooh. Like, mm. Nice. Th- I like that. That's what it, it, it sounds like. She took a, this is an actual generational curse. Mm-hmm. And the only way we're going to get rid of it is by progressing forward. Mm-hmm. And like here that. he is telling humans about vampires, bringing in human scientists, Mm-hmm. to help him figure out how to get rid of this generational curse. Right. I like that. That's very nice. Very nice. It's not a theory. Just for let y'all no, it's, we, we know it's not a theory. It's very, <laughs> it was very nicely done, though. Um, the conversation that Matthew has with Jack before um, Jack's blood rage status is known when he's in the um, sitting room and he's doing all of the drawing and they're talking, he asked Matthew, he was like, why didn't you want me to become a vampire? You notice Matthew never answered the question. No, he didn't. He avoided it. Like, dude, <laughs> I need you to, ha- I need you to talk to this, this kid. I mean, you've literally just spent this conversation with the whole family, but making him feel like he's not supposed to be there. And then you come in, you're like, I'm glad you're here. We have an awful lot to catch up with. Like, you can see a little bit of, uh, you can see a phantom of who he was back when Jack was young, you know, when they went back. And I think Jack saw it too. But at the same time, it's like, dude, you need to tell this kid, like, period, point blank, I'm sorry I was not, I, I'm sorry I did not welcome you when you came. I'm sorry, I, I, I should, he needs to, he needs to be a little more verbal with this kid because I can guarantee you Benjamin has been nothing but verbal with this kid for the last few hundreds of years. He's going to have to undo some of that and he's going to have to do it by talking. He can't do it just by his actions or lack of actions or whatever the fuck this is that Matthew was doing because it's not working. He's like a, he's like a fucking Vulcan right now. Like no emotion. Dude, this is the kid that you practically adopted. You need to let him know that none of this is his fault because it's not. But what was bothering me too, was that they weren't even like, it, we didn't get scenes of them all sitting around and talking and reminiscing and him telling them about his life. It was like I got a scene of of them together like one time and the rest of the time it was like Kim and Diana mm-hmm. in the room talking together. They're out doing their thing. They're leaving him. Oh, you'll be fine with Gallo Glass. Like, are, are y'all gonna like get to know him? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, raising, I'm raising my hand because this is my problem with the book i'm not going to spoil anything but the entire book they treat jack who's what four or five hundred years old like he's nine they treat him like he is a child the entire book everybody in the family mom dad grandma grandpa they treat him like he's still baby jack well coming i mean one of them comparatively speaking he is i know but that irritated the hell out of me because he is he was in the book he was 20 when he died he's a grown man he's got some problems we understand that but they treat him like he's nine 
all throughout the book. That was one of my biggest gripes. I see what you're saying, but comparatively speaking, he is nine. I mean, it's like he, I mean, he really was, his growth was kind of interrupted when he met Matthew and Diana. Okay. Because, I mean, he wasn't raised like regular kids. Right. It's like he, he basically was doing whatever the fuck he wanted to do. And then he got, he, I mean, the people that he were left to left in charge of him really probably didn't focus him like he should have been. Like parents who loved him and cared about him right, would have nurtured right, him, right. but he didn't have anybody to really nurture him. Mm-mm. So, and plus, you know, I mean, once you become a vampire, it's like, if you don't have the right person to guide you, I mean, he had old brother Hubbard and Benjamin. And it's like, those are, the, those are not not two ideal role models to, to help groom a vampire and teach him what he needs to be doing. Right. I mean, and you saw that, you saw that with the video for the video Benjamin true. took that's of true. him in the car. Like right. that was macabre. Like I was right. like, I, that, that shit was like, bruh. Yeah. Like, I mean, and, th- and this is what he's had to deal with. And it's like, I mean, 500 years of that, of course you're, of course his development's going to be stunted. You can't expect him to be Matthew dealing with all that he he his 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 growth and everything else whatever he's learned is still going to be stunted because of the environment that he was raised okay in. all right okay okay let me let me amend that and i'm trying to use the right word because i don't want to offend so maybe not the mind of a nine-year-old but someone who is mentally not i would say either stunted or deficient because of the traumatic events in his life does that mm-hmm. sound better yeah I mean, because, yeah, because that's definitely what it is. I mean, if you think about it, even, even the comparison to him being nine years old or still a child, I would even accept that because if you think about it from the way his childhood has been described, Father Hubbard says that he spent the majority of his time looking for Matthew and Diana to come back, you know, holding on, yeah, holding on to them with a childlike you know, grip. And then even the things that he's been doing since he's been in this part of the story, stealing the portraits, you know, attacking the people. I don't think he meant to kill the guard, but the guard was standing in between him and those portraits of the people that he cared about the most. So I think it, it was one of those things where he got angry because those, those portraits, technically speaking, belonged to him i don't know how they got out there in the world to where he lost them or they were taken from him i don't know but in his mind his possibly immature mind he's thinking those are mine and you're keeping me from them okay well let me just go ahead and get my stuff and of course the the guard ended up getting killed behind it but I, I don't know. Again, I feel like all of his blood rage is centered around the whole Matthew and Diana thing because that's how uh, Benjamin has groomed him. But then that doesn't explain the other murders. Like apparently they all happen in spots where Matthew and Diana had been, according to Domenico. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe he went to those spaces looking for Matthew and Diana. And when they weren't there, he got upset and killed the people. I mean, I don't know. I, I think, I, I don't know. It could, it could be possible that he approached them thinking that's, that's who they were. And then when they weren't, maybe they said something that set them off or maybe the, the disappointment that it was them set him off. And he just went all bloody, all blood ragey. Yeah. 
I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff that sets him off. I mean, that's another thing about his immaturity. It's like he has, I mean, he has no con- no self-control. It's like, well, we've been saying this whole episode. It's like he can't control himself. Mm-hmm. It's like once the blood rage takes him, it's like, I mean, this is basically with any vampire that has blood rage, I'm assuming. Yeah. That, you know, that, that once it consumes you, you basically are you're at a loss to really take control of yourself. Like it just kind of overwhelms you. So, and plus you pair that with him still having an impressionable young mind. Like, I mean, he's a time bomb. He's a ticking time bomb. And that's why I'm saying that he's a problem and that that he's going to cost Matthew a lot. I still, I'm standing firm on that. I'm going to have some hope for Jack. (laughs) I like, I mean, Jack's, Jack's cool and all, but I just... I don't, I just don't see, I don't see this ending well for Matthew. I just really don't see it ending well for him mm-hmm. at all. <sighs> yeah, I'm, I'm watching the scene in the background now where uh, Baldwin has brought Jack to the house and, you know, Matthew's trying to get Jack to calm down. And that's when he says, tell him I belong to you. And Baldwin's like, I'm the head of this family. I'm so sick of you talking, you, you having to tell everybody that you're the head of the family dude you ain't the head of the family like you're just saying that because you have to you have to reiterate it but don't nobody look at you as the head of the family and then look at his i don't know again i feel like his reactions when diana was attacking him they were just a little i don't know i expected a little bit more from baldwin I, I, don't I mean, in what way? What do you, what do you mean? I, I just, I feel like if it was Tristan Graham, the, the old actor, I don't know. I just felt like he would have done the scene a little bit differently. Mm, so you're at, talking about acting. Yeah. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm okay. talking about the way that they embody the characters. Just, they, they do it in two different ways and I'm still not, I'm still not a fan of this new Baldwin yet. Maybe, maybe a couple more episodes, but it's just when you're used to a character being portrayed a, a particular way, right. a certain way, yeah. For someone else to come in and do the character in a completely different way, it's a bit off-putting for me. Like mm. the old Baldwin was a little bit more—he was a little more expressive. Let me say it like that, you know. He was a little more expressive. His reactions were a little more emotional. This Baldwin here, he's just too calm about everything. Even the fact that even when he got attacked by Jack, he just sat there grabbing, you know, like touching his neck and looking at his hand like, oh my God, did he really just bite me? But he had no other reaction. (laughs) It was, I don't know. It's just so weird. It's just so weird. I don't know. I mean, this ball, this ball one is kind of soft. Like, I'll give you that. Like, he's look, he's a little soft, but I it's think like he's but calm he's, and collected. He's just he doesn't get rattled too easily. Mm. It's a quiet rage. Yeah, I guess. I don't have I don't dog know. in the I, fight. I, 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 I don't care for either one. <laughs> one of the ball. Yeah, I, I'm 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 good when I'm I'll be good when Baldwin is is done, and I'm not, I don't have to look at him anymore. I'm just tired of him. Because he's a little pompous prick, and the old one wasn't like that. I'm like, can we have less him and more Hamish, please? Like, y- yes, yes, I, I would be down like for that. that. 
I mean, I, I realize that's not going to happen because we have to have Baldwin in order to get this Scion storyline, I feel like, because it's tied together. This is Matthew breaking from his family. Like, it, it's got to happen, but... I'm just we saying. don't get anything from the demons on this show. Like, we, we hardly ever get any... Like, we got a little bit of Agatha, but it's like, are we going to get any more from them? I think Is we this... will probably in the later episodes. I mean, we kind of have to because they, they have a halfling child, so that has to factor into it somehow. That, yeah, that's that's not a halfling. That that child is full witch. I mean, a full, full witch. We have, I mean, we have, a, we have a witch born to demons, so it's like, yes, we need to have, we're probably going to hear from them later on as well. Yeah. Um, I also think that it's like, he's lucky that it's Baldwin that found out and not anyone else because Baldwin, the only thing standing between Jack and the congregation finding out who he is, is Baldwin right now. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing. Because if Domenico would have figured out who the fuck he is, he would have went straight to Gerber. They would have brought the whole weight of the congregation down on Setor. Well, I think that's that's what they're about to do now. I mean, think about it. Gerber is in... Okay, so I doubt that about Domenico because Domenico would be like, How can I use this to my advantage? Domenico's not going to do it, but Gerber will. Gerber will do a whole body slam right down onto everybody in that family, right? But see, this is so with Domenico meeting with Gerber, and Gerber basically, like, it seems like all the cards on the table that Gerber knows everything now. I'm just going to assume that. Mm -hmm. So, Domenico being Domenico is probably going to, like, back off to see how this shakes out. Like, I, I don't know what y'all will. Uh-uh, I don't think so, because think about think it. So. In this episode here, Domenico goes to Jaber's by invitation, one. Two, the way that Jaber was like, Domenico, please have a seat. I was like, what is Jaber up to? Because Something's he has up. never yeah. spoken to Domenico with an inkling of courtesy or respect in the whole two and a half, well, you know, two seasons and some episodes that we've seen now. I was like, something, he's up to something. And then, of course, here comes Benjamin in the door. So, yeah, Jaber is about to use all, I'm pretty sure Jaber knows everything because Benjamin is there. Benjamin had to have told him. And now at this point, Domenico is not going to have any, um, he's not going to have any choice but to f- see through whatever it is that Jaber is about to do. No, I'm okay. I, I'm not a big fan of Domenico, but we do know the man has schemes on top of schemes, mm-hmm. on top of plans, on top of schemes. So I wouldn't put it past him to go along with it, but if he knows anything, he knows that Jaber is pretty much a self-destructive person. <laughs> like, if he's going to screw something up, he's going to screw it up. Mm-hmm. Domenico is not like that. Domenico would not be the one that would be like, okay, let's let's bring the weight of the congregation down to Claremont's and destroy them. No, Domenico is going to probably see, see this through because one of the things I know about Jaber, Jaber doesn't like anything, any creatures. He wanted to have the vampires wipe out the demons and wipe out, you know, the witches and the vampires be on top. That doesn't benefit anybody. It really doesn't. And so Domenico is not going to be the person that's going to really want to be involved in that. But he's going to he's going to go along with it as long as he can 
to see how he can play this to his advantage. But he's not going to let... How many times have he has has he just usurped whatever Zubair was trying to do? Remember, his ultimate goal is to get Venice back. As long as Zubair is in power, he's not going to get Venice back. Right. So he's going to undermine him somehow. Mm-hmm. And, and even the look on his face when Benjamin walked, he was like, Okay, so all right, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. Not only that, but now, concern. He, but now he knows. He, I mean, think about it. He knows Benjamin's scent too, and that scent probably is is tied in with Jacks as well. You know what I'm From saying? From what I understand, I, I think he was. I want to say he was in Jerusalem at the time all that stuff went down. Because remember, he and Matthew used to be best oh, friends. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if they were best friends. They they knew each other. They said. They, well, but they were fighting on, I think, opposite sides, too. Oh, you mean Jaber and, and Matthew? No, no Domenico Matthew, and Matthew. Matthew and Domenico. They, they, they are, well, they are best friends. They were. They were best friends. They were. And I don't, I, I can't remember. I think, I think you're right. I think they were, they were, it all had to do with Miriam's husband. And the one of the frustrating still has not played any part in this story on the the show. I mean, it's from the book, but I'm sure it's going to come out later, probably. Well, okay. Here's here's my thing. But I wouldn't I wouldn't really (laughs) talk about it now because I we I don't know if it's going to be part of the story later. Because see, this is I'm not saying anything, but I'm just going to say this: the book. <laughs> I'm not saying but, anything, but what but, I'm saying is but say the book but. had some serious issues on stuff that I can't talk about because it pissed me off when I read the last page. Okay, but that's all I'm saying. But right now, I mean, like I said, Miriam's husband has not even been mentioned in right. this show, except for the fact that when Matthew was craving Diana. She That's assumed that Matthew had already made it to her because she says, "You forget, I'm the only one of us right. that, that's been made right. it." Right. But other than that, yeah, we I, have no, there's nothing, nothing about Miriam's husband that's been mentioned or even implied. And I feel like yeah, it, I don't know. Maybe at this point in the story, it's too late to introduce all that. But I don't know. Maybe they introduce it and they can introduce it in a way to where it makes sense for whatever the rest of this story is is happening in the rest of this season. It's just I, I get you and I agree with you because I I I think the biggest problem that I have with any book is that when they bring stuff up and then they go through the book and at the end of the book you're going, "Huh." But you can't say anything because you're frustrated because of the way the book ended. I I have I am in love with this episode. I love this episode, but at the same time, it's so frustrating because I want to see certain things and I know I'm just not going to get them, you know? The show has this, we talk about adaptations where, Mm -hmm. I mean, like Wheel of Time, a lot of the stuff in Wheel of Time that's on the show is not in the books, but a lot of the ideas and the plot threads are still there like you can follow along the story in the show and it's very similar to what's in the book i haven't read the discovery of witches but it seems like unlike that there are things that we might need to know as far as background information Mm -hmm. that i always joke about this you know on other shows we talk about things oh we're not gonna hear about that 
or they're not going to talk about that. You know, it's never coming up again. But I feel like this show is missing a lot of stuff that that would make it a richer story. And they have a lot of downtime when they could have used that time to explain some things. Like when he was explaining to Diana about Benjamin, that would have been the perfect opportunity to explain, well, that's where I met Miriam. You know what I mean? The, the, you have had yeah, opportunities yeah. to flesh out a lot of these characters. Like we know a lot about Marcus. We don't know anything about Miriam. And, right. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I I, yeah. I, I, I don't want to be a dead horse and I don't want to extend this longer than it needs to be. But I do feel like they could have done a better job of giving us more information about some of these characters, especially since they're supposed to be historical figures anyway. Like I just found out Domenico is actually based on the guy who actually ran Venice in the 11, 1100s, like mm-hmm. Andrew Bear having been a Pope. These are things that are more interesting to me and, and makes the story richer. It seems like they're missing it because they want to do all this, you know, CW romance crap that's going on. Yeah, I mean, there's that. I, I, yeah, I'm 100% behind you on that because, like I said, you know, not just this show, but there's several shows that this is a problem. And I, and yeah. Okay. So, speaking of telling us stuff in the show and then not giving us enough background, they better not, they better not, they better not make that one throwaway line gallo glass about spending diana's whole life protecting her be the explanation for why he has feelings with her that they better do better than that because on first glance or at first listen to that in a way that's kind of creepy because yes i realized that you met diana in 1590 as you know a, a time traveling witch and then philippe tells you to watch over her and protect her for her whole life so that means that you've literally probably been watching over her since she was a child and then up to the part where she's now an adult again it's it it just seems so weird it's weird (laughs) so I hope they expound on that just a little bit more because other than that I'm not mm -mm. Mm-mm. I love Gallo Glass, but no, baby. The, no. the, the fact that he's already like hundreds and hundreds of years old, and he's been waiting around for her to be born so he can start watching. <laughs> that's <laughs> just, no, no. Speaking of throwaway, okay, that's creepy. He hasn't called her Auntie no, once. We're not doing that. We're not doing episode. that. That made me mad. He didn't go Auntie. He, that's the best part. He didn't do it in this episode. Well, he didn't. We didn't really see a lot of scenes with him and her directly interacting in That's this true. episode. That's like true. we saw him more so with Jack and then with and Fernando. Fernando than we did right, with right. him and her. So, but it's just that that whole thing when he he tells Jack and Diana is you know on your side or she's she's she'll protect you or something he says to her. I think it was something about the way she said he said her name that Fernando was like, don't let Matthew find out. And I was like, really? Is that how you're going to introduce this into the show? Like in this conversation? Look, if you if your stepfather knows that there's something going on and Fernando doesn't look like he can hold water to me. So well, first of all, if you're Fernando, why would you hold water after how you're being treated? This is true. Secondly, about this is Fernando, true. I, this better not be another throwaway line where 
Wait, Fernando is the one who taught Matthew, Matthew how, to how to control his blurry. But then he's like not a part of the family. Like, how, how did you come up with that, Philippe? Like, oh, he did this wonderful thing for you, but because he falls in love with your son, you want to kick him and them to the curb. Well, I, 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 I want to know actually, what came first, but because I we think, don't get an explanation uh-huh. as to why, why, you know, he hasn't been accepted or, or why he decided to create his own slam. We're not going to get any of that information. But I we think we may, him. but I think the thing with Fernando and Matthew is if you take clues from what we know of them from the past two seasons, I think it's very, um, to me at least, it's very clear that even though Hugh was one of Philippe's sons, I think he and Matthew were close, which could also explain whatever issue Baldwin has with Matthew because Hugh and Matthew were close, even though they were sired by two different vampires, you know, same family still, but still Hugh was Philippe's eldest son. Matthew is uh, Isabel's son, but it appears that they were close and then you also see that Matthew is very close to Gallo Glass. They have a good relationship. So I'm thinking that even though Philippe did not acknowledge Fernando and Hugh's relationship, maybe Isabel didn't either, but uh, uh, Isabel, again, was not Hugh's quote unquote mother. But I think Matthew accepted them. And that's why he's been able to stay close with them and close with Gallo Glass. And again, we've heard Matthew talk about him coming to a decision that he would not be Philippe's weapon anymore. Maybe once that happened, Fernando was the one who was like, okay, well, let's go ahead and teach you how to control this. I don't think Fernando would have held any of that against Matthew because again, I think Matthew was not part of that whole, oh, let's not acknowledge you or whatever. Because I think if that was the case, he wouldn't be sheltering them now. He wouldn't be helping them now, I don't think. See, Baldwin's, <laughs> you brought up Baldwin. Think about it. Like, Philippe treated Matthew like your true son. Yes, but there and... were all, there was also points where Philippe also treated Matthew like a soldier. You true, know, and I'm, that I'm was, that as was far part as, of the... As far as Baldwin looking at the situation, looking at how Philippe treated Matthew, not only as, you know, his favorite child, not favorite, but a, a favorite child and also as his weapon who he gave this task to he right. also made him the the in charge of the knights of lazarus so it looks like baldwin with the addendum like, that baldwin should never become grandmaster of right. the of lazarus. so yeah <laughs> and so if if you're baldwin no wonder he's so bitter and and has all this angst mm-hmm. towards matthew yeah, I mean, he can't really do anything about it because he's so steeped in in ancient old white male patriarchy tradition. It's Isabel's son, so he can't really mess with Matthew. So just fuck it. Baldwin, yeah. he's getting jerked around from everywhere, isn't he? Because Isabel treats him like trash too. <laughs> oh no, poor Baldwin! Wow. Yeah, I was gonna terrible. say. But he's earned the way that he's being treated. Let me see. Oh, I am straight out of fucks for Baldwin. Sorry. Proceed. I mean, I'm not looking for sympathy for Baldwin. I'm just saying, you know, 
I was going to say, because we have none to give. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have no more fucks to give. My fuck well has run dry. But I guess my, my point is, you see there's a lot of rich story and rich background that they barely, I don't even want to say they allude to it, they barely allude to it. We get these throwaway lines. Yeah. You know, just mm-hmm. not even like full scene explanations. We right. just get lines in the middle of the scene that is not related to what's really going on. Right. Okay. Here's my other question. So I'm looking in the background and I'm at the scene where they're in the airport. Benjamin calls Matthew and tells him to look, check his email. And they're looking at the video. First of all, the fact that Jack is sitting across from Matthew and the way that he's sitting again does allude to the fact that he is younger in mind than he is in age. You know, because he's sitting over there drawing and he's sitting kind of like a child. And then, of course, once he hears this video, he already knows what's on this video. So he goes over and the way he's looking at it, he's like biting his fingernail like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I know what this is. Oh, shit. He's going to see what I did. Now, again, Jack can't control it because this is what Benjamin did to him. And I think at this point, Matthew understands that this is Benjamin who has manipulated Jack in this way. So even though he's watching this video, I don't think he's going to hold that against Jack in that sense. He's not going to blame him. Marcus either, because I think even though Marcus is pissed about the whole situation, I think he may feel sorry for Jack because of, because Jack is basically just a pawn in this whole thing. But when Matthew says, what do you want? He tells Matthew, I, what does he say? Something like a family reunion or I want, you know, I want to sit down. You, me, Jack. And when he says Diana's name, he does this little shiver thing. And I was like, fuck, is he in love with her too? Like, what is the deal? Because he only had the one encounter with her where he saw her at, um, what's his, I, I'm just like, what was that little shiver? It was like, you know? It was weird. I mean, the, the per- I mean, maybe the person who I live with and I'm related to by marriage, she said, what the hell has Diana got? <laughs> because all these men have these physical, visible reactions to right. the mere mention of her name. Right. I mean, think about it. Tell the person you live with that she's half right to question that. It's just like, even with when you went back in time and you challenged Philippe, Philippe, who is about as anti-witch, anti-demon, basically was was so horrible to her the first night. And then once he sees her and and realizes all of this, he's like, oh, okay, I have to show you what you're going to be dealing with. And, you know, Diana was mad at him. And then she was like, wait, you did this for us? And he was like, if you're going to be together, then you have to know the whole man, exactly what you're getting yourself into so that you know what your, you know, what your fight is, what what you're going to be facing. That's changing the hearts and minds of vampires. Right. even, Even his best friend back then the demon he was like he was infatuated in a different way she was such a threat to him he was not infatuated with diana no i I was saying infatuated in a different way like his jealousy his level of jealousy skyrocketed with her presence if he could have scratched her eyes out he would have (laughs) poor kid poor well poor not so poor kid 
it right. Well, he gets his. And then we got poor Gallo Glass Benjamin. He walks up on him. Ooh, I smell you. I, it's like, oh my oh. god, really, guys? Even Hamish was like, I like her. Yeah. You know, I mean, and then Chris, 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 Chris is like, oh yep. wow, wait. Well, Chris is yeah. Chris friend. is the best friend. Chris, no, 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 Chris no, 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 has no. been a while for. Chris but yeah, been, he. I felt no, it too. No, Chris has been friend zoned. Chris has been oh, friend zoned. Yeah, he I, wants I, her. We talked about this. Yeah, we talked about. Well, yeah, he does. Sarah, Sarah, and Emily tried for years to get those two together. Yeah, I mean they really tried, you know. But the, the thing, the thing is, is that uh, Diana is special because of the Ashmore, you know, book. And Diana is special because of the fact that she's conceived children with a vampire. So there's okay, Mike. That is people that is who wrong. are listening. Just, Mike is doing else? a dance. <laughs> she's doing the old nineteen fifty people. Yeah. You know, do the new thing. She got that whip appeal. I mean, it's like it's probably so. It's just like, isn't it? Is it in lore? I'm trying to get it right. That isn't it. Vampires usually that have like a pheromone that usually yes. attracts people <laughs> like that, like drives oh, them yes. their fucking minds like that. Except in in the other series, the True Blood series, it's the fairies who do. This is oh, yeah. oh, don't get us started. Oh, Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, because you know, Stackhouse boy, talk about, talk, about, talk about not sticking the landing. Hush, we, we oh, won't so, even. All oh, sicky, sicky now. Oh, sicky, sicky now. Oh, we, you like how I said this? This is not the time for me to go on a three-hour rant. Absolutely not. Oh, no. <laughs> but, but the thing, the thing is, is that I am so excited because this episode was everything in the bag of chips, as the kids say, and this is only episode two. We have six episodes left. And since I read the book, I know what's supposed to happen. And when you guys see it, you're going to freak out. That's all I'm saying. I'm ready for it. Yeah, yeah I'm ready for oh, it. I'm ready so for good. it. This it's episode so was so good to me. And I mean, just just the Diana and, and Satu segments alone were yes. enough to seal this for me. Like Diana snatching Baldwin up, that will forever be one of my favorite moments from this series. It was long, long overdue, and it was worth every second. He was like, Not today, Satan, not today. Not at all. So, yeah, Diana trying to slide her pregnant butt on the floor to sit next to Matthew. That was funny <laughs> because I was like, oh, No, sorry. don't do it, Diana. You won't be able to get up. I remember those days. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, she was just like, uh, 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 uh. he was just laughing. But I, I loved, I loved the fact that when she was on the floor and she went to reach for Jack, he was like, "No, don't touch me." He had enough presence of mind to tell her mm-hmm. back away. I loved mm-hmm. that part. That was awesome. Uh, you know, the whole thing, and like I said, I will forever love Peter Knox getting knocked on his ass and and Baldwin almost getting got literally. Yep, that was so much fun. But um, again, as far as casting, I love this casting that they did with Adult Jack. I love it. I love it because even just like with Little Jack, from the moment he entered the screen and we saw him interact with them, he like wormed his way into my heart. Same with this Jack. The moment that he got out of the car 
and Diana recognized him and he smiled at her like, mom, that just, I was like, okay, yes, this is my Jack. Y'all did good. Y'all did good with the casting. He's, he's so great. You, um, are we sure it's not the same kid? Because, you know, in television, these, those kids <laughs> grow up fast. Like you watch Lost in Space, did you see how how big Will got between season mm-hmm. two and three? Oh my God, he's he's the tallest so person in the cast. Yeah, so. just, I mean, it's just yeah. like they go to like in Young and the Restless, they send them away to that private school and they come back like fully grown, ready to get married and shit. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. Yeah, these are lives. Oh, uh, uh, one life to live. The uh, the. The reappearance of Joey Buchanan, aka Nathan Fillion, <laughs> that was uh, that was a glow up for real. <laughs> oh. But um, for Nick, yeah, Nikki on Fresh Prince of Bel Air went from an infant <laughs> you know, to like no, oh that's not let, no, that's no, we are not going no, we are not going down this path. No, that's a whole different podcast episode. No, absolutely not. I got my but, Fresh Prince of Bel Air reference in. but um yeah this this jack i mean just the range of emotions that we've seen from him in this episode you saw the vulnerable jack you saw the happy jack you saw the angry jack that that little twitch in his face right before he turned around and attacked baldwin i was like oh okay kid you got this yeah i loved every minute of it i i love him um being a part of getting kind of an Kind of an incredible Hulk thing with that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, don't make Jack angry. Mm-hmm. You won't like Jack when he's angry. No. And I just think it was so... The way that they introduced him and brought him back into their lives and the way that Diana and Matthew, even though Matthew, I think, was a little hesitant at first, I don't think it had anything to do with the fact that it was Jack or... I just think, one, he was thrown off by the fact that, okay, Jack is a vampire, and then two, having to find out that he's the blood rage vampire and all the implications of that, finding out the truth from Father Hubbard about Benjamin being his sire. And you have to think about it, Matthew putting all of this together in his head and thinking, okay, this is Benjamin's revenge against me because of what I did to him. He's going to have to take that in. And he's going to have to really accept full responsibility that all of this shit right now is your fault because you lost your temper. I mean, that's basically what it was. Benjamin decided, oh, no, I'm not about to keep these vampires uh, secrets. And you decide, oh, okay, I fixed that. I make you one, too. So you have to keep the secret. And then I'm going to leave you and abandon you so you don't know what the fuck to do. You don't know how to control. Yeah, Matthew was petty. And the result of all that pettiness is all of this right here. Blowing up in his face. Mm -hmm. And now to think about it, you have to worry about these children that your wife is carrying. Like, are they going to be blood rage vampires too? How is that going to help? How is that? I mean, how? Yeah, you you got a lot, you got a lot of damage control to do, Matthew. But um, I think the only other thing that I was thinking of when Phoebe comes in to ask Marcus about his children, and she asks him how many there are, he says five out of twenty. I'm like, wow. So Matthew had to kill or cull fifteen of his children. And anybody that they sired during that time. 
that shows signs of blue rage. Right. He, he made it clear to say that they had to show signs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But still, that had to be. I mean, I, I don't know. Ugh, that's that's a lot. That's rough. That's heavy. Yeah. That's a lot. And then the fact that Mark is only shout out to Phoebe. Shout out to Phoebe for taking this shit as well as she can. Like taking this shit pretty much in stride. I mean, it, I mean, it, it was like when she said, "How many kids do you have?" And I was like, "Oh shit!" Like that, just like is that baby mama vibes? I'm kidding. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> like, I... like this is the same. Okay, I was like, oh, I was like, wait, this is the same kind of thing. Like, calm down, like okay, I saw. But but she, I mean, she's taking it as well in stride as anybody can at this point. Well, I mean, as far as... you basically, you this is what you signed up for. Yep. You know, when you came to Marcus and said, okay, I want answers. This is what you signed up for. You know, because at this point, I guess she could go back to leading her normal non-creature life. But she would sit there and be bored because she would be constantly wondering about what's going on with all of this now. So, yeah, she she's in it for the long haul. No, she, she's in the life because it's like even if she would she she, she would try to decide and say, no, I want to go back to my old normal life. She can't do that because she can forever be used as a pawn against Marcus because even if she decides to leave and Marcus still has feelings for her, who's to say that Domenico or Gerbert or Benjamin wouldn't use that against him and like can like snatch her up and be like, yo, we got her. You know, we need we need to meet or we're going to turn her. And it's like, you know, well, I mean, what's to stop him from doing that? Well, the, 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 I started the first chapter of the, of the, the fourth book of the, the new trilogy. And basically, uh, it comes down to the fact that when Marcus asks her to marry him to be his mate, she has to, of course, become a vampire. And the way that it's starting to be set up is that she has to live apart from him for a certain amount of time until the transition is complete. And then she has to live like several more months, basically a year, like a, a hand fasting, a year and a day. And in that time, she's not supposed to have any contact with any of the Claremonts. And then after that, she's accepted. So in that year, I'm um, taking you back old school, like when you're walking to be a deacon, like a walking deacon, uh, you know, in the Baptist church, uh, you have to walk for a year. It's like a vampire for a year. So she has to do all these things. So it could be her concern is that at any time of that year, and by the way, there's a couple of family members missing in the series, which I hope they'll pop up. One of the sisters that we haven't seen yet has to basically uh, introduce and set forth a nomination to get Phoebe properly, officially into the family. And if she's not given a invitation, she can't marry Marcus to be a, a declaremont. So my thing is that she knows this in the back of her head because they're prepping for it. So she's going to suck up because in the book, she's running around getting tea, finding old photographs, finding houses for them, getting bedding. I mean, she's doing everything she can so that the family says, yes, you can be a member once you've been turned. Because if she's turned and no one says, yes, she can be part of the family, she's on her own. And nobody in the family can sire her because it has to be someone outside. That's some bullshit. You're going to turn book, me, change me from my human life, and then I have to go through an approval process? Fuck that. Y'all mm-hmm. better do that shit before I die. No. Right? Exactly. No. Nah, son. If that ain't the most arrogant. I read that chapter, and I was like, 
I'm like, huh? I'm like, oh hell no. You, you see that I'm in or I'm not. Okay. So yeah, she's gotta basically chill for a year. And if they say no, then she's out. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. Guys, that is the most, like, that is the most <laughs> arrogant shit I have ever heard. No. Congregation rules. Congregation rules. We, well, we already know how I feel about the congregation. So this is true. This is oh that just oh that just bothers me like i'm so i'm good enough that y'all can like kill and try to and and, and make me transition but after that as if i didn't give up enough now i have to go through this trial Mm -hmm. period like oh no 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 the worst part about the new trilogy is this has nothing to do with the story in the first part of the book they actually have a farewell dinner with her real living family so her family knows that she's about to become a vampire and they have a farewell dinner with all her favorite dishes because she's gonna be turned that morning oh i was pissed i stopped reading the book anyway that's well i mean i wish they would seriously so i guess in a way i think if i if i were transitioning if i made the decision to transition to a vampire and i had family that was still alive i don't see where that would be a problem because i think i would rather my family know what happened to me and then say goodbye to me as opposed to i just disappear and they have no idea what happened to me and they i mean and i'm thinking of um the movie uh the old guard you know where yeah they have the immortals and the um i can't think of what her name is but the girl the girl yeah they convert she basically has to she has to make her family think that she's dead instead of right. so i i don't right. think i could I, I couldn't do that to like my mom or my brother or my sisters like just make them wonder for the rest of their lives right. what happened to me i couldn't do that so if there's a way if if they do allow them to do stuff like that and be like okay if this is your decision then which i don't know anybody who will be like yes okay you're going to be a vampire we're going to feature your favorite meals black family they're going to sit there and sit you down and they're going to tell you all the reasons why you are making the wrong decision and then they're going to lock you in your room until you come to your senses. pretty much now in the book phoebe is not black in the book phoebe is actually indian from india okay so so the family basically does exactly what you did you just said her mom was like are you sure no, really, are you sure her dad's like, you can always change your mind. You can always find another nice young man. You know, they're basically saying, are you, you really want to do this? <laughs> so yeah, no, but enough about that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Let's just put it that okay. way. Well, I guess we'll see how this goes. Cause I just, that, that's so weird to me. But anyway, that's probably, I don't even know if we'll get that stuff in this series because we probably we won't. only have six episodes left they've they've got to talk about the quote-unquote more important issues which is the vampire issues with the blood rage right. and diana right. having right. you know these twin babies and you know um nat and sophie's child being born as a witch and they've got other things to wrap up i don't see them bringing that part of the story in unless unless they put it in at the end and then announce, hey, we're going to do the Times Convent series. Okay, cool. Oh, I but, would love that so much. I mean, I'm actually expecting them to do that 
because the show is so popular. It's like Anthony said a couple of weeks ago. I don't want to end, and I agree with him. It's, it's actually I mean, one of the best, one of the best written shows, yeah. fantasy, uh, fantasy supernatural genre shows right now. So, yeah, why wouldn't they continue that? Especially if you're you're bringing in all these new characters, you know, as far as Marcus's children. Why not continue that story? I mean, the story yeah, is there. True. The canon is there. So, but it's just, I, I don't know how, because Deborah Harkness has been a consultant on, on this particular show, and she just recently announced her um, ovarian cancer diagnosis, I don't know how that would affect any future series that they were talking about, like, would she still move forward with the series, but she would kind of pull back as she takes care of her health, or, you know, maybe they've already started this and they just haven't told us. I mean, they stopped filming season three early last year. So right, right, they yeah. could have already started filming a new series with Marcus and Phoebe and that particular story. And we just haven't heard about it yet because they are filming overseas. We wouldn't necessarily get that information like we would over here. Like they don't, I don't think their paparazzi and their tabloids are as um ambitious that too i was my my first thought was repulsive but i was like no i don't think that's, <laughs> it's true but that's not quite the word i was looking for but yes opportunistic i you know they could have they could have filmed a whole first season already and and be in post-production and we wouldn't know about it until they decided to release that information so based um, on how these next couple of episodes go like how long they spend in new orleans if they're only there for one episode, then I'm going to call it a backdoor pilot. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if, uh, if they're there for more than one episode, yeah. it's, it's probably not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I agree. But I really think that Hanukkah's right. And I think, Anthony, I think you're right. I think they are going to announce Time Covenant as the. As I would not be mad at all. Yeah. Because isn't this the last season for Discovery? So it, it seems that this is right for another. If they're going to do, well, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Let me shut up. Yeah, but I, I hope that's what they do. I would like to see more of Marcus's story. Like I said, I, I like him and Phoebe. I'm not like fully on that ship yet, but I think if they give us a little bit more exposition as far as Marcus's side of things and what happened there and if they can put enough in there to say hey yeah we'll do another series based on the second series of books I would love it I would love it but they would need to give me some time because after this series ends I plan to go and read those three books I didn't want to do it now since we're already towards the end because I didn't want to go through that hole with this is not how they wrote it in the book. And I, I, I didn't want to do that. Oh, that's how I roll. So yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, help myself. I see a TV series. If they have a book series, I read it before they watch the series. Um, I do yeah, sometimes. Uh, and sometimes I don't, I just, I, I had planned to with this one and just didn't get around to it. And then by the time we finished the second season, I was like, I might as well just wait at this point because then I might 
at that point, if I read and get more information in the books than they gave in the show, then I'm always going to be wondering, I'm going to start, you know, kind of like you saying, okay, hey, they should have done this and they were supposed to do this, but they didn't. And they changed. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that because I enjoy this series a lot. And sometimes when you read the source material and then you watch the show, it kind of it kind of spews your, um, you know, mm-hmm. the way you view it. And I didn't want to do that because I love this show so much. Like this is one of the top shows on my viewing list right now. And it's just, I, I, I kind of wanted to stay there. So I'll just wait. I'll just wait. But yeah, again, I won't be mad if they go ahead with the uh, market series. Won't be mad at all. But um Let's see. Six more episodes. We're going to New Orleans next week. That's going to be interesting to see Marcus interacting with these quote unquote children of his and to see how Matthew and Jack fare in that city. Um, Because yes, we're going to get the vampires, but let's not forget New Orleans probably is rich in witches as well. So that's going to be interesting and it's funny Lori. you know i'm sitting here in my mind like okay are we going to see some michael <laughs> oh jeez i mean see, i was i was being nice i but you know i i i would not be mad to see marcel Giraud. <laughs> i know neither would i but but I, yeah i think i think that uh, the New Orleans stuff should be very interesting because, like you, like Mike said, they're 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 all all types of chocolate, and I think that that should be interesting because if you go back to a brief segue, Anne Rice and you know interview the vampire and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. and with the new uh, series with the guy who played Grey Worm is playing uh, Louis, I believe, in the series. Yes, he is. So that yeah, so it's times have changed because for those of you who are old enough, like I am, the the, the original interview with the vampire movie starred the following people: Tom Cruise, <laughs> Brad Pitt. <laughs> I forget the third guy. <laughs> it was not that Romeo Banderas. Yes, there you go. Oh yes, I forgot about him. And, and the sequel starred Aaliyah, but may she rest in peace. That didn't go over well because that movie, even though she was in it was really a bad movie because Lestat decided he wanted to be a rock star. Yeah, let's let's not go let's exactly. not go into in, into those. We'll we'll t- we'll talk about that at another time, maybe, maybe not. But um let's see any final thoughts on this episode. Did we did we forget anything? I think we touched on all the important stuff, namely Diana and Baldwin and Satu and Peter and yeah. Jack and Jack. And Jack. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, was- shout, shout out to poor, poor Jack just like like giving up the ghost when when Matthew found him and he was just like, I'm not gonna fight you. Just go ahead and take me. I, I just like, felt so bad for him for him. And then I when he too. showed him the portraits, he was like, This was the what did he say? This was the closest I could get to you or something like that. Yeah. Like I was like Oh, or something like what was it this was the only piece of you that that i had left or something i was just like matthew you cannot kill him if you kill him diana is gonna have I, i'm sorry i know they're made it and all but mm-mm. well what got me was about two sentences later and he mentions felipe and i'm going oh you had to bring up his grandfather yes oh that got me yes he stopped and he looked at him he goes felipe because, because here's the thing together. because then that means 
Philippe knew that Jack was a blood-raged vampire and still let him live. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. When he said that, y'all, I was just, I was in my feelings. I was like, wait, Philippe, so Philippe knew and let him live. So that told him to wait, told him to wait. Right. So to me, again, that also makes me feel like Jack would actually be Matthew's redemption as far as that thing, you know, the whole blood rage vampires and not getting them all or not killing them all or whatever. I think that's going to be the like Matthew is going to be able to save Jack. Now, it may come at some cost to him. I don't know. But I feel like that is what he's supposed to do, like. What he did wrong with Matthew, I mean, with uh, Benjamin, he's going to make right with Jack. And I think, too, and I think, too, it may not come at much of a cost to Matthew as far as like, I don't think he's going to die or anything because he has Diana on his side. I think Uh, it is going to cost him maybe his relationship with Baldwin, what little of a relationship there is. I think there may be a situation where. Baldwin and Matthew have to come to blows and if that's the case bye-bye Baldwin it was not nice knowing you (laughs) but um you know I just I don't know I think I think Jack is I think Jack will be okay and I mean even Father Hubbard says to Matthew you are his only hope now so I I think that's probably what's supposed to happen I don't know I hope you're right. I just, I'm still, I still just have a, have a burning, have an itching sensation that is that Jack's going to be the death of death of Matthew in one way or the other. I just feel like, and if if math if Matthew ends up, if something ends up happening to Matthew, will be unto everybody when Diana finds out. Oh, Diana, she's going to go ballistic. And you know what? I was actually, I I went on YouTube just now because I was going to look for the trailer for the next episode. And I have to get, I had to get off YouTube because I forgot across the pond, they got the whole series at once. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting here looking, so I'm sitting here looking at an image of Matthew and Diana holding the twins. And of course, that's not a spoiler because we know she's pregnant. So at some point she has to have the babies. But I was like, where did they? I said, oh, wait, close. <laughs> I can't go look at YouTube at anything. So we'll just have to, uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait to see. But um, I'm looking forward to the next episode. I mean, the episodes for this season so far, the first two episodes, they've been great. Like, this is the final season and I feel like they're going to go out on a good note because the writing in this series so far has been so great. I don't see them letting us down in the last season, last few episodes. I just don't see that happening. So I'm excited. I'm excited for New Orleans. So we'll talk more about that next week. But for now, that's it for our show. You can find us online at www fandomhybrid.com we are on social media on facebook instagram and twitter at fandom hybrid you can also find us on youtube and on all major podcast streaming platforms thanks for listening we hope you join the conversation next time